three stories. The first is about a guy named Jack, outstanding guy. Uh, he has a very demanding job, uh, often a, a frustrating job. But when Jack was little, his father, who was a very wise man, repeatedly told Jack, young Jack, over and over he told Jack, uh, Jack, you can't do everything, but you can do some things. And those things you choose to do, do well. Do really well. And so today at work, Jack has built an enormous amount of credibility and respect because he believes bringing excellence to his job starts with his heart, a heart full of joy and gratitude. And his commitment to this joyful, generous excellence spills over in everything he does at work, really his whole life. Not surprisingly, for the last three years running, Jack has been his company's number one salesperson. Dawn is disabled, severely disabled, not expected to live. Dawn is now 21. During the early years, Dawn's family went through some very dark and turbulent periods. But almost at the beginning, Dawn's mother stepped up and stepped into her family and called her family of five together and said, look, this is God's assignment for our family. In his sovereignty and his goodness, he has given Dawn to us. And we have this opportunity while everyone is watching us to extend the grace and the mercy and the compassion that God has extended to us in Jesus Christ. Now, 21 years later, this family radiates a joy and a compassion. And Dawn's siblings, who are now adult uh, children in this family, are, are just thriving, thriving in remarkable ways. And one of the reasons was along the way they, choose to no, they chose to notice the little things. Like the way Don would smile and rock her head back and forth at loud music. And they loved it. Story number three is about our son Ryan, my son. He's a student at a secular university. And on the side... He leads a Young Life Club as an unpaid volunteer in one of the most challenging high schools in South Carolina, where a large percentage of, of kids come from broken homes. And a large percentage, percentage of those kids' families are, are barely making it, barely getting by. And so as we've talked, and he's been at this for a couple years, as we've talked about this, and, well, Ryan, you know, what's driving you? You know, why are you? And he said, Dad, I love these kids. He calls them their, his friends. I, lo I love my friends. And the needs are just enormous. He said, you know, Dad, I was raised in Wheaton, and I'd never been in a trailer. 
And I'd come to find out most of my students live in trailers. And the family is led by a, a single parent, usually a mom. And when I start to get to know the family, I discover that um, one, at least one of the parents is in worse shape than the kids. My students, my friends. Now, Jack, Dawn's mom, and Ryan are not pastors. None of them have a desire to be a pastor. They often feel overwhelmed. They often feel inadequate. They're just ordinary people living ordinary lives, but they believe before God that God has called them to serve, to seek the common good, to, to lift up Christ. And they see God's call on their lives as every bit as important as any pastors and any missionaries. Now that brings us to our fourth value today. So take out this booklet, this eight-page booklet entitled The Mission and Values of Wheaton Bible Church. And today would be a really good day to take this with you because we're not content, we're, we are not going to reproduce this week after week in this series. And turn to the third page. Uh, these values aren't numbered, but value number four is down at the bottom. And you will see in bold, it says, everyone is called to all the time ministry. You there? You got it? Everyone, and we want to emphasize everyone, everyone is called to all the time ministry. Now, I, I want us to say this out loud together with an emphasis on everyone. So, so follow me and let's say this together. Everyone is called to all the time ministry. And that ministry is just as important as the ministry of any pastor or missionary. There are many important dimensions to this ministry, including family, friends, neighbors, vocations, culture, and the church. We believe the week, as you scatter, the week is just as important as the weekend. We gather to scatter, huddle to run the play. We scatter as public disciples sent in the world to serve a public savior who lived a public life and died a public death. And then as this Peter says, and Peter, you must understand, is addressing all believers. He says, but you, all believers, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. This is what we call the priesthood of all believers. That all believers in Christ are equally called to full-time, all-the-time ministry. We're all believer priests. Therefore, healthy churches, healthy churches are not clergy-centered, they're lay-centered. They're giveaway churches, giving the ministry away so that you can execute the play where you work, where you live, where you teach, where, where you serve. So we are sending uh, Christ-following engineers and nurses um, Students, singles, retirees, truck drivers, educators, to the front line of the battle. This isn't the front line of the battle. This is where we come to be equipped for the battle, to the front line of the battle, so you can lift up Christ in both word and deed. Now, as you know, if you're a student of history, this was one of the great achievements of the Protestant Reformation, where Luther, Calvin, and others said, come on, wake up. In Christianity, there is no A team and B team. 
There is no distinction between clergy and laity. There is no sacred and secular distinction. Yet here we are, what, 500 years later? And there still exists among way too many of us this notion that what I do with the church, what I do for the church, around the church is somehow sacred. But when I'm changing diapers, when I'm at work, when I'm, you know, on on the practice field, when I'm on the golf course, wherever it is, corner office, you know, that's really secular. And that's a lie. And the point of 1 Peter 2 is that God is saying all of us are chosen people. All of us are a royal priesthood. There is no, no, no such thing as a sacred secular dualism. Everything is sacred. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, in your shop or in the kitchen. Now I want to show you how Jesus expresses this. This is just a, such a fun passage. And let me give you the context. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, but here in Luke, Luke tells a story about Jesus being at a dinner party, and the host was a prominent Pharisee, and the party was full of prominent Pharisees, and that was a a problem, and there was a tension in the air, the vibe at this party, because almost from the get-go, the Pharisees hated Jesus. Uh, So the Pharisees are there, and they see Jesus. What in the world is Jesus doing here? This party is full of prominent uh, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, especially Pharisees. And and they're nervous, and they're on edge, because what's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? And Jesus does not disappoint them. Look at what he says in Luke 14, beginning in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, and he's saying this in front of everyone, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now you read that and you think, okay, no big deal. No. I mean, think about it. What Je- this is so bold, it's almost humorous. It's outlandish. What Jesus is saying to his host in front of all these elites is the next time you have a party, don't invite these people. And you better believe there's smoke coming out of the ears of the host, uh, the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, don't treat people as if they're commodities, don't think in terms of what, how they can benefit you, how they can make you feel better, what they're going to do for you. Serve people, especially the vulnerable, and you will be repaid in the resurrection. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Jesus isn't just talking about our parties. He's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about how we live our life. Party is a metaphor. Banquet is a metaphor for your life. And Jesus is saying, are you using people so you can feel better about yourself because you're concerned about how people view you and you want to have this perception, this status, whatever? 
Or are you a person who's about helping people flourish? Especially the people that can't benefit you. Jesus says the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And for those of you, by the way, um, who have questions about Christianity and you have some doubts and we all have questions and we all have doubts. I want you to understand you don't make this kind of stuff up. You just can't. So I say this because Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9, is saying, you are a believer priest. There is no distinction between clergy and laity. You all have an all-the-time ministry. And Jesus is saying the same thing, only he's saying it differently. Jesus saying, as priest, your life is one big party. And who, who are you living for? All of you are called into all the time ministry. And so mom, as you raise your kids, as you go to work, as you settle into this retirement community, as you go to school, who are you living for? Now, I've shown this to you before, but just bear with me. I love what this young mother says. She says, I am socializing four homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And what do you do? <laughs> this is the priesthood of believers. All of us are called into all time all the time ministry. So whether you're an electrician or a plumber or a principal, a police officer, a pharmacist, on and on. God didn't call all of us to be pastors, but he calls all of us to the front lines. And he gives us the spirit that we might honor him and do things, frankly, that we never dreamed possible. Someone once said that today there is a person sitting, at, someone is sitting under a tree that years ago somebody else planted. That's Peter's point. That's Jesus' point. Plant a tree for other people. Uh, see yourself as an all-the-time ministry. See yourself, see your life as, as a party. And by the way, for those of you, and, and I was there for a long time, who think Christianity is overly restrictive, you know, overly narrow, uh, hopelessly biased and, and rigid, I, I want you to understand that the New Testament here is saying just the opposite. Christianity is the only religion in the world that makes equality throughout culture possible, any culture possible. Here, everyone who knows Christ is equally a believer priest. There is no hierarchy in the church. And by the way, let me take this a step further in light of what's going on around us today. So if someone says, you know, I don't believe in God, but I believe in human rights, and, and I believe in the equality of every person, and I believe in the requirement to care for the, for the poor, that person, even though they deny God, is still holding on to Christian beliefs. You cannot say 
love and equality is good, and inequality and oppression and terrorism and racism and on and on is bad if there is no God. And so uh, my point here is this value is not only huge for us in the church, but it is huge for the world. It is huge for culture. And it's why in Christianity we find the soil of democracy and why Christianity is opposed to every form of tyranny and oppression and injustice and racism. Now, let's go on. Here it gets really interesting. Let's go on to the fifth value. So take your booklet out again and turn the page. And up at the top, we have this statement, healthy believers go deep and wide. You got it? Now we're going to say this out loud, but I want to emphasize the word, the conjunction, and. So we're going to say healthy believers go deep and wide. So repeat after or with me, and let's say this out loud together. Healthy believers go deep and wide. Now deep is loving God in the context of thick community. Wide is reaching the world through your word and deeds. One is not possible without the other. So if we as a church, for example, um, would pursue wit without depth, what would happen is we would become shallow. But if we pursue depth without wit, we ignore the Great Commission. I love the way the New Testament emphasizes both. Actually, the entire Bible. But let's start with the depth side. Look at how Paul prays for us about this in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And, and here he begins to move into this, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, Paul is not praying that we would all be academics. Some of you are some of you are moving in that direction right now and man we love you and we honor you for that we need that but that wasn't accessible to the vast majority of the people that Paul was writing to Paul is praying that we would go deep into the wonder the presence and the love of Christ and his reality in our lives so depth here is knowing the depth of Christ's love. It's a head thing, but it's a heart thing. It's something we feel, something that's tangible to us. It's being transformed and captivated by that love, like a young lover is captivated by love. So I want to loosen things up here a little. And I want to give you permission on the front end to be responsive, okay? Sometimes it's hard in Wheaton Bible Church for us to do this. But I wonder, do you know this love? Are you experiencing this love? Do you know this Jesus? You see, Jesus Christ was fully human, but he was no mere human. 
Jesus was a prophet, but he was unlike any prophet the world has ever known. Jesus was both the image of the invisible God and fully God. The Bible tells us he created all things. In him, all things hold together. Uh, and everything has its season. And in him, everything is moving towards a glorious resolution so that he will have supremacy over everything, all things. And yet the book of Isaiah tells us that Jesus Christ had no beauty or, or majesty that should attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire. But Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the bright morning star. He is the light of the world. He is, thank you. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Can you say amen? amen. So I wonder, do you love Jesus? Is he front and center in your life? Do you know him? The Bible tells us that, amazingly that Jesus was fully God, but he did not, he did not consider equality with God uh, a, a status to be held onto, to be grasped. So he became a man. He moved into our neighborhood. And as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, death on the cross. And so Jesus saves us in rejection, weakness, and sacrifice. And we think we have to have it all together. Jesus became vulnerable for us. Do you love him? Can you say, Jesus is my king? That's how Paul is unpacking Jesus for us just in this prayer. Paul is saying there are no walls, no armies, no terrorism, no presidential election, and no unbelief that can stop Jesus. It just won't happen. Jesus is supreme and sovereign. Yet his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Jesus is the doorway to deliverance, the opportunity to overcome. He is the gateway to glory and the path to peace. He supplies all our needs. He always, always listens and answers prayer. He cares. He cleanses, he forgives, he heals, and he offers hope to the hopeless. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the name above all names. And one day, one day, this day is coming when, when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Do you love him he is the king he is my king is he your king 
you, you cannot avoid Jesus. You cannot outrun Jesus. You cannot outlive Jesus, but you cannot live without Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is not going to resign. He's not going to run from the problems of the world. He's not going to avoid you because of the problems in your life. He's not going to turn his back on you because of your doubts or questions. You can't hide from Jesus. You can't deceive Jesus. And no one, no one will ever impeach Jesus. And what Paul is doing is saying Jesus is our Savior King. And God, I'm praying for these people, these followers of Christ, that they would go deep into that love of Jesus. Now let me go to the wide, the width side of this. Way back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, he, he does something that we've often lost sight of. He doesn't call Abraham to merely be the, the father of a particular tribe. He doesn't call Abraham to focus just on his people or his ethnicity or his friends or his circle. He calls Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And when we come to the end of Jesus' earthly life, Jesus says the same thing in the Great Commission when he says, go and make disciples of all the... Oh, come on. <laughs> of all the nations. Every single one. And so when we get to the book of Acts, and I mentioned this briefly last, last week, it's crazy wonderful how, how we see that, that Christianity is exclusive on the one hand. So, for example, Peter preaches early as Acts chapter 4. There is no other name, no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. No other name than Jesus. There are not many roads to God. And so we see how exclusive uh, Christianity is. But on the other hand, in the book of Acts, we see how incredibly breathtakingly beautiful, how inclusive Christianity is. Because from the moment of Pentecost all the way through the book of Acts, what is happening? Well, what is happening is people from every race, every culture, every background, every ethnicity are coming to Christ. And it's an intentional move of the Holy Spirit. So what we see in Acts is exclusive yet inclusive, deep and wide. So we go and make disciples. We preach the gospel in season and out of season, and often for us it feels uh, out of season. Because we believe that Jesus Christ came in the world, into the world to save sinners. And the number one thing, the dominant thing our world needs today is Jesus, right? I mean, we're destroying ourselves because we've turned our back on Jesus. We cannot go silent. So how do we stand up? How do we step up? By going both deep and wide. Are you committed? 
Are you committed to going deep and wide? No one, no one loves you like Jesus. No one will deliver you from your cultural racial superiority and arrogance like Jesus. Uh, No one gives you mission and purpose and, and meaning like Jesus. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, And the father came to him and whispered, are you ready? Jesus didn't say, these ungrateful people, I'm out of here. He said, sure, I'll do it. I'll be crucified. No one loves you like Jesus. Uh, The good news of the gospel is that God has accomplished our salvation in Jesus Christ. So we don't earn our way to heaven by being good or by being better or by being a church person or not committing murder and on and on. We don't earn our way to heaven. We believe our way to heaven because Jesus Christ was alone good enough. Satisfying the righteous demands of a holy God. So there are three, only three responses to God. One is religion, moralism, trying to be good. The other is irreligion, relativism. I don't care about God. I don't believe in God. I don't want anything to do with God. And the third, and there are only these three, is the gospel. That God sent his son to deliver us from our sin, our self-centeredness, our disordered loves. And we are saved, forgiven, cleansed, excuse me, made righteous when we believe. Now, I know you have questions. I I know you have doubts. We all have questions. We all have doubts. But Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you to come. And if you've never come to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. To come to him right now. And acknowledge your sin and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And I also know, based on the last couple of weeks I've had here, that there are some of you that are going through some very deep, very troubled waters. And we want to pray for you. So at the end of this service, after we sing, after we worship some more, our prayer team is going to be down in front. I'll be down in front. And if God is calling you to come to him, come down in front. If God, if you have a prayer burden, you want people to pray for you, man, come down to front. Father, as we now turn to worship, we pray that we would worship you out of our hearts that it would not be mechanical, it would not be tedious, we would not be looking at our watches, but we would focus on you and the wonder of your incredible love for us and your son. We are amazed that you love us like you do. Speak to us now that we might worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.